How you guys doing, Silicon Savannah? This is Mark Karaki of Impact Africa Network. Boy, do we have a power-packed podcast episode for you this week. But before we dive into the meat and potatoes of that particular episode, Impact Africa Network is excited to announce the launch of our Power Speaker Series. 6 p.m. on Thursday, February 28th, we will be hosting Scott Chacon, former founding CTO of GitHub, for a conversation on the insights and best practices of founding, growing, and scaling, and exiting a multi-billion dollar startup. Scott and his co-founders grew GitHub from an original team of four to 450 employees and a $2 billion valuation. In 2018, GitHub was acquired by Microsoft for $7.5 billion. Scott went on to launch Chatterbug, a language learning application based in San Francisco and Berlin, Germany. If you are interested in understanding the secrets and the, and the steps to moving a technology startup from founding to scale, there's no better place for you to be on February the 28th at 6 p.m. than at the Chandaria Center for Performing Arts at the University of Nairobi. Tickets are available at Eventbrite or through our website at impactafrica.network. I would secure my ticket right, right away because we are expecting a packed house. This will be a transformational evening for those who are ready. See you there. Hello, everybody. This is the Chini Maji podcast by Impact Africa Network. Um, today, we have a couple of uh, new faces. We have a guest uh, who we're very excited about. And we also have uh, one of our new team members, Pauline, joining the podcast today. So I'll let her introduce herself and then I'll introduce our guest and kind of take it from there. Uh, hi, everyone. My name is Pauline Yatira. I'm the finance intern at uh, Impact Africa. And uh, we're here to just have a conversation about um, fundraising and stuff. Yeah. <laughs> cool, yeah. So Pauline is uh, first time. Well, this is your second time being on the podcast, yeah, it right? Is last the second time. Yeah, last time you were being introduced. And uh, I just basically 15 minutes ago, I was like, hey, Pauline, would you like to be on a podcast? <laughs> she was like, uh, yeah. <laughs> That's the startup world, right? You know, yeah. We live in a highly dynamic uh, world. And, uh, you know, I love having, you know, uh, you know, up-and-coming professionals basically straight out of school and throwing them in the deep end because I think uh, as the famous saying goes uh, brilliance is evenly distributed but access is not and so uh, at Impact Africa Network what we believe is give access to, to, to brilliance and see what happens so part of how we, what we, how we do what we do is we have a, a robust um, intern program where we are taking individuals in our local ecosystem and putting the pipeline in them right into the uh, professional practices. Uh, we've got finance, we've got digital, we've got data analysts, we've got developers, uh, entrepreneur and residence programs. So, so we're very excited about our intern program and Pauline represents the professional services finance intern and her, her job. Maybe tell them, what's your job? Um, at the moment, I'm uh, going through um, financial models for startups, uh, going through just how far they've come up to the point where they're at at the moment and uh, maybe looking for maybe mistakes that they would have or some few things that they could be missing in their model just to help them broaden the picture that you know if they want to project how the business will look in a year or two years by the end of next year December we want to see how well it will do or how far it will do so that's that's what I've been doing, trying to incorporate uh, maybe like band rate or chan, chan, you know, for 
new customers who, who may be leaving, upgrading, you know, stuff like that. Just making the picture broader so that uh, can get a, be a better look at the bit. business. Yeah, yeah, very excited about that, and we could not have a more appropriate guest today uh, yeah. to have Paul on uh, on the podcast. And Yeko is, um, I guess, one of the consummate professionals in our ecosystem. Uh, Yeko comes from a finance background, and uh, he's done some amazing things in the ecosystem. And I'm really excited about, about him and what he's doing. Uh, and so without further ado, I will let him speak for himself, introduce yourself, and tell us a little bit about your background, and we can take it from there. Uh, yeah, hi, everybody. Um, yeah, my name is Yako Brahane. Um, from the States by way of Eritrea. Um, grew up in DC, went to school in DC. I studied finance and then went into investment banking. Um, I've been working across the continent for, I'm in my fifth year now. Um, started off in SA after I left banking and I went to Joburg to work for a network called African Leadership Network. Built an accelerator there, made some investments across eight companies, uh, six countries, six industries. Um, it was founded by a guy named Fred Swanaker and Acha Leke, and Fred is known for his education background, and Acha is now the chairman of Africa for McKinsey. Um, then they launched African Leadership University and went to Mauritius to help them raise their Series A and build out their growth and um, analytics team. And then after being in that role in uh, Mauritius, went to Kenya, worked for a company called M-Survey. Um, and pretty much did the same thing there, took position as the head of growth and investment, helped build out the analytics, recruited analysts, associates, um, and raised their Series A. Um, yeah, and uh, I mean, I guess by a long way back, I've been trying to just figure out my way back to East Africa, I guess. That's a little bit of a short background. Mm. Um, yeah. Cool. So what inspired you to make the leap from New York, I imagine, is where you're doing investment banking? Or what, what was the inspiration five years ago that made you make the move? How'd you end up here, I guess? Um, so, I guess like it kind of is about, I mean, I, I always kind of looked at it, I was never really meant to be born in the States. Like my family left Eritrea because it was a civil war. Um, my grandfather was studying at Harvard Law and then went back and had, you know, intentions to help build democracy and be a judge in our country and our parents had to leave. So I think that was kind of like a grounding thing for me. and. Um, I, you know, I didn't really know how I was going to add value or be able to be productive on the continent since I was born and raised in the States. So I went to a conference at Harvard, um, the Africa Business Conference, when I was an undergrad, and I met a guy, his name is actually Ermius. He, I think he heads up McKinsey, Ethiopia, and he said, if you want to come to the continent, man, you know, we love passion, but we need people with skills. So um, my cousin was in banking um, in Hong Kong, my other cousin was in New York, and they were just like... If you don't know what you want to do, you know, get some hard skills, um, get some experience, get some mentorship, and then see if that works out. My cousin went to business school. He ended up working for Fred as chief of staff, and they were like, hey, we want to build this accelerator. We need a finance guy. Um, and it was really like a very, um, I guess, poignant place in my life where I was like, well, I'm 25 now. Um, you know, you kind of think about the decisions you want to look back on and be like, I'm happy I made that decision and not look back and be like, oh man, I wish I would have took that shot. And mm. it's worked out really well. I kind of went with the flow of it. Mm. Um, and I figured, you know, working in finance and trying to parlay that to add value to entrepreneurs that were really smart and 
just didn't have access to certain experience and knowledge and it's just it's it's more so like industry stuff knowledge and experience not how smart you are and, and the the I guess the asymmetry of like information and resources was very obvious to me and I found that that was something I could do and add value to. Awesome. So as an emerging finance professional, what advice would you have for Pauline? Yeah. Um, I would say the stuff that you're going to learn in school or that you've already learned in school is not readily applicable to working in the actual finance world. Like even at the most critical levels in like banking and Wall Street, I remember everything was very theoretical in undergrad and then you get into the real world and you just have to learn on the fly. Um, but then you're used to systems, right? A lot of finance jobs, a lot of you know banking jobs, PE um, comes with a certain way of doing things. When you're working with startups, you gotta understand like, unlike when you're working with a big corporate, like you, a startup is like there's a very very human factor to this. This is someone's like, you know, for lack of a better word, baby, right? Um, and I think I was a prisoner of being super rigid and dogmatic about how to look at finance when I first left banking, and it's, it's easy to look at an entrepreneur in their business and be like, well, this is how you have to do it, and like, if you don't do this, like, it's not really gonna be good for the business. And an entrepreneur has a million fires burning every day. They go to sleep with things that are like critical that they couldn't get done. If you're gonna come in to add that expertise, be, be someone that's like releasing, like be a release valve. Right for their stress, don't add to it. Um, and I think a lot of finance people come in with that kind of approach where I know finance and this is how you do finance. And you're speaking to someone that most likely doesn't fully understand finance. They might be a technical person or they have a lot of industry expertise and that's why they built this business. So be able to learn on the fly, You know, be humble enough to know that even though you know what you're doing very well, there's gonna be a lot of things you're gonna have to learn because you're dealing with a person that's really emotionally tied to what they're building right now, and they're, they're usually driven by their mission. And that's, that's a very different way of approaching finance than when you're dealing with like, you know, a, a Microsoft finance world or something, because their system is so big and you kind of just like fit into one of the cogs in it, right? Yeah. And you've been doing a lot of, I guess, homework, preparing yourself for this, for the startup world. Yeah. Uh, just share a little bit about what some of the eye-opening things are have been for you as you kind of go through these, this homework process that we've put, we put, we're putting you through? Um, I've realized that, uh, the, like you said, the type of finance that you learn in school and in class, it's very different from what, what is required for, say, a startup. Because when you're taught in school, it's like, you know, this and this and this and that's the end. But uh, when you come, when you come to re what you come to realize is that uh, uh, there's a lot of flexibility involved, and uh, it like in it takes time to get to a certain point, like uh, especially for from the idea point to like actually starting the you know the work, like getting the the work out there to the customers and such. So I've learned that. Uh, it takes time. It takes time to like go with the founder. Say, like uh, I've I've been looking at uh, Easy Church Financials. The model that they had it was very complex. Uh, too complex, I feel, uh, according to where they have reached. Maybe in the ground they have gone quite far, but 
when you look at the books, they have like uh, one client, I think. And the model that they had, it was so complex that I, could, I couldn't, like, I had to simplify it all the way down. Mm. Like, mm. this is where you're at. Mm. You have to take one step at a time. Mm. If you have one client right now, like, let's work with this client. How you, you acquired this client, try and, like, uh, get other clients. I think what I'm trying to say is, um, in uh, in all, in all the maybe startups that we'll be working with, I I guess uh, much like you've said, just uh, being more flexible with the, with the founders, yeah, yeah, the founders and where they where they are and where they are, what yeah. they need, and be, be more supportive. I guess is yeah. is, is the thing. Um, and so yeah, I mean one of the things that that we know of, and we've talked about this before, is kind of like the lack of start financial mechanics, startup expertise in our market. And so I would, I would kind of go and ask the, the next question is, you know, what are some of the differences, lessons you've learned working in Africa versus working in the US? Obviously in the US you are investment banking, mm -hmm. here it's a very different world, but generally speaking, what are some of the things that you would say stand out to you as differences or lessons you've learned? Um, it's actually one of the things that you and I talk about a lot is that so I spend time in the valley a lot of times with investors and a lot of my friends from banking, like the you know, Silicon Valley. Yeah, okay. yeah. Sorry, Silicon Valley. Right. Um, a lot of my friends from New York and DC, Atlanta, all the different like hubs for finance. They all went to the valley because it was just like, well, hot. it's hot, right? It's right. a cool thing to do. Right. But when you're comparing ecosystems, they have such a high like density and critical mass for multitudes of things. Like if it's from small checks from investors, one of the things that we've talked about, if you're building a business and you're like, I'm well positioned to do this, but I kind of need, you know, 25,000, 50,000 to get this off the ground, right? right? Depending on what business you're, like the nature of your business. Some businesses you can start from day one because you can start making money. Right. Others is like, there's a certain lag time that you right. need. Right. And the continent is like, it's very big, but like the ecosystems are in, in their infancy, right? So for you to be able to have access to someone that might be able to sit down with you and say, oh, okay, you want to build, you know, this, I don't know, data analytics business, or you want to build this fintech business or this agribusiness, being able to like quickly connect to someone that can like walk through your idea and be like, be careful here, this is like a booby trap. This is, I've seen entrepreneurs gone down this path and it really becomes very hard for them to get over that hurdle or this is a nature of B2C and you might want to start off with maybe some more like SME type clients and mm -hmm. maybe build a base to go to B2C. Just that kind of information mm -hmm. as well as just getting access to talent. Like if you're sitting in a lot of the different markets like New York or Austin, Texas or DC or Silicon Valley or Los Angeles, you just have so many more resources mm -hmm. that you can kind of pull from mm -hmm. um, to get either checks or even people to build, you know, come on your team, give you advice. On the continent, you have a tremendous amount of smart people, but they work at big corporates and there hasn't been any successful exits for you to be able to go up to someone that's at like McKinsey or Standard Bank or KCB or whatever that, or SafariCon, like, you know, it, you know, coming from an African background, like, our parents always push, get a good degree, go get a good job, have safe stability, right? right. You know, um, 
And when you're trying to build a startup and you're like, wow, this person here is really amazing. I want you to come build this thing with me. They're like, I, my parents didn't put all this effort into school me, get me into you know, this job and connect me to, for me to leave this steady, high corporate job to come to your startup because mm -hmm. what does equity really mean? What does it pan out? Mm -hmm. we, have, we don't have enough success stories for me to, like, for me to get to over project, that cognitive yeah. load and mm -hmm. be like, yeah, I'm going to do this because it makes sense. So those are the, a lot of hurdles, like that knowledge, that access to capital, the talent. I think sometimes people make it seem like there isn't capital there. There is, but there is they'll just invest in real estate, right? Mm -hmm. Or it's like mm -hmm. they're not going to invest in a startup because mm -hmm. it's, it's not tangible. I don't mm -hmm. really understand what you're doing. Mm -hmm. um, there is a lot of talent, but it's hard to convince someone to leave this big job that they've worked so hard to get to yeah. to come you know, join mm -hmm. your startup, which is completely understandable. So mm -hmm. th that... That difference, I mean, you know, Silicon Valley was, was being developed in like the 50s, right? Mm -hmm. So it, it takes time, right? Mm -hmm. And it's, it was all like just in that space. Mm -hmm. If you think about mm -hmm. Africa as a whole, it's like you have Lagos, you have Nairobi, you have Kigali, you have Kampala, you have Joburg, Cape Town. You have all these different... All of them trying to be Silicon Valley. Exactly, right? So okay. you, you don't get to a, a certain level of density or critical mass, just the geographical reach. Right. Like, this is really hard. Yeah, I mean, having spent my career in Silicon Valley 15 years, uh, it, that's pretty much where I grew up as a professional, and uh, totally agree with you. The reason why that place is post, the results it posts, is because they have that density of experience, capital, all the resources that a fledgling startup needs. Um, yeah, I mean, that's, that's, that's kind of like, I guess the other thing too is like, when, you, when I look at that, I also say, um, this is almost like, a, it's a marketplace, mm -hmm. right? And every almost city, what it's all is trying to build a startup ecosystem around the world. Mm -hmm. And when you look at that, just since we're kind of going down this path, my perspective is startups are built in cities. I mean, sorry, ecosystems are built in cities. It's a density mm -hmm. of talent, of capital, of results, of performance that starts to create this flywheel mechanism happening. Mm -hmm. Um, so, uh, from my perspective, I, I am biased towards Nairobi, right? I'm here, I moved back here to actually get this flywheel cranking and to bridge those gaps for startups. So, you know, you've worked in different cities around the continent. Where do you think uh, among those, those cities, uh, the potential to actually, over the next 10 years, post great results are? I mean, we're kind of jumping ahead, but, you know, what are your thoughts? Um... Also, my, I mean, I live in Nairobi because I, I agree with you. I think Nairobi's advantage is that it's geographically located very well to be, you know, in and out, to fly to other cities, understand them. You have, you have intellectual diversity here. You have a lot of different industries. You have a lot of creative people coming in and out. So you get, you get some of that kind of momentum by being able to pick and choose from different people to, and different circles to interact with. Um, I think... Cape Town and Joburg are really great, but Joburg is really industry-based. It's big insurance companies, and I don't, I don't know if South Africa as a whole has a culture of like not really interacting that much with the rest of the content. Mm -hmm. the content they're insulated. Yeah, they're insulated. Right? I mean, and you can look at cultural reasons for that, right? right? You have apartheid, you have colonialism, you have all these different things of why that's kind of come about. But then that means your ceiling is South Africa if you're building a business there because you're mm -hmm. not really interacting with the rest of the continent. Mm -hmm. um, I think really it's between Nairobi and Lagos. Lagos is it's hot. You know, it's it's got a lot of attention. It's gotten YC's attention. Yeah. Um, you know, just having Mark Zuckerberg pop in there and all that. I mean, 
the people kind of look at some of that as just like hype, but you got to realize Silicon Valley got built off a lot of hype. It's yeah, you know what I mean. Yep. And like it was like right a self-fulfilling prophecy of just right. being like, well, if this is where it's at, some people believe it, and then you start to see some momentum going in that right exactly. way. Exactly, exactly. Um, and know. also, Lagos is twenty million people. Like just. Right. Just that city is 20 million Market people, potential. right? Yeah. Yeah. Kenya as a whole is, what, 44 million people, right. right? So, you know, I think just looking at laws of numbers, you're like, well, you have this really big pool. I mean, Nigerian as a culture have an amazing hustlers mentality. Um, and there's a lot of, there's also a lot of like wealth there that, that is starting to understand mm -hmm. and starting to put more money into it because they're, they're seeing like, well, these, you know, Silicon Valley and European investors are coming in like mm -hmm. we need to be a part of this. This is our this is our turf like we need to be here right. um, Yeah, so I think it's I think it's kind of a toss-up. I think right now Legos has, seems to be a, Lego yeah. seems to be a, yeah, you know I had a conversation with Michael Sewell CEO of uh, YC this, this last December when I was in the valley and pretty much that's the signal he gave me right like mm -hmm. uh, It's a lot of numbers. They have large numbers um, I've, I've, I've been to Lagos and they are our brothers and you know if they if they can actually post results that's great for the continent yeah we are all family um, at the same time I gotta play for the home team and I gotta say listen uh, Nairobi I feel like we're on the cusp I think we have over the last 10 years not been able to post results and we're kind of now really looking ourselves in the mirror and saying okay what do we need to do different and and I can tell you that I mean I'm encountering entrepreneurs who are now hungry for mechanics, mm -hmm. the order of operations of how you de-risk your game plan and how you go to market. Um, and people have learned from their mistakes and um, they, they, they don't want to repeat the same mistakes, right? Uh, so we did an, uh, a survey, an accelerator perception survey this last December to kind of uncover what are people looking for, right, in the context of an accelerator, right? Because Impact Africa Network is an ecosystem catalytic capacity building accelerator. We have a, we have a differentiated model where we don't bring just uh, the technical expertise because I and it's it's benchmarked on experience. It's not people coming from corporate to kind of give you their opinion about what they know business to be because it's very different from a startup. Completely, actually focused on those practical results of how you sequence your process to go to market and how you de-risk your how you think about that process. Um, and so the other thing is building that infrastructure of support from professional services, finance, uh, bringing um, uh, angel investors into the game in a very intentional, systematic way, right? We're not accelerating startups and let's see what happens. Oh my God, no. We are very systematic about what we do because we understand, I understand what an ecosystem is. And so we're doing the whole thing, capacity building and accelerating startups. But anyway, um, all I say that all to say is that you know, I, I, I see the ingredients in the water, mm -hmm. right? I, we are at an inflection point just based on what you're hearing, what, what people are being able to accomplish, and then being able to see uh, what they need is not just capital, it's quality capital. It's, it's practical, uh, useful advice from people with experience. That's what that uh, uh, report uncovered for us. That, the entrepreneurs who are out there, they're serious about executing. You know, so I say that all to say that, you know, we're gonna give Lagos a run for their money and we're gonna we gotta we're gonna surprise some folks. Yeah. Yeah. So um, but next question. So in terms of the investability gaps among local startups, right? 
What are some of the things that you've seen? Because you've raised, how much money have you raised total for startups, African startups right now? Um, I don't really, like some of them don't, we don't publicize all of it, but it's like a little bit over 20 million. Wow, okay. So that's, that's, that's amazing. So congrats on that. But what are some of the gaps that you, you've seen that you see consistently? Um, all right, the consistency that I've seen, like something that I can, I would say is almost a blanket, which I always am careful to put out, but a blanket thing is that people usually underestimate the length and the complexity of raising money because it's, there's usually some type of like medium of communication that happens that doesn't, that doesn't necessarily happen always at the beginning. Mm -hmm. So what I mean by like that proper communication or understanding like, are we on the right frequency is, are you even targeting the right investors? Like, do you know where you're at as a business? Are you at a point where money in your business helps it grow or is it money in your business helps you keep the lights on, right? Mm -hmm. certain, certain businesses, like if you're building a hardware-based business, it's like, well, I need money to keep the lights on so I can get to a point where I can start to grow. Mm -hmm. If you're building a services-based business, it's like, well, you should start being able to show proof of concept and generating some money mm -hmm. that can help you know, cover operating expenses. Now, what I would say like in a very technical stance is if you're going out to raise institutional money, like if, we're, if we're just going to skip the angel seed round because I don't think anybody's doing that well yet. Mm -hmm. um, if we're doing, you know, investment stage where you're dealing with a VC, um, what is your audience? Like if you're building a healthcare business um, and you're talking to someone that always looks at e-commerce, they... They're probably, it, it might not have anything to do with your business. It, this is just not their field, right? right? So how are you looking at your business? How are you looking at what brings in revenue? What is your like important metrics? Like, are you looking at your customer acquisition costs? Is there any ability for you to understand what some, not full lifetime potential of the value, but hey, like, you know, a, a customer coming in comes out as like this much money for us and we spend this much money to acquire them. Mm -hmm. We reach, you know, you know, you could say you reach a thousand people a day, but then like how many people from that thousand convert, right? right. Like these numbers are really, really important, right. not just in the sense of like, they're, they're not just like, you know, lip service or like vanity metrics. It's like those numbers, well, when you're talking to someone like Pauline is gonna be like, okay, those are the drivers. If I'm building your financial model and you tell me you have, you know, X number of people coming to your site or pinging you or texting you for these, you know, whatever widget services, whatever you're providing, yeah. it's like that helps me understand, like, where is the margins in your business? How does that actually drive growth for you? And like, do you have actual business that makes sense to put money into? Right. Because at, at the Series A stage, it's more so like you found product market fit, fit either in like the market you're in, in a certain line of your business. Um, like a way you're delivering your service and this money is meant to expand that, like right. to rapidly develop it. Any investment before that is like trying to help you refine your model. And then anything after that is like, now you're really trying to like capture large swaths of the, the market, market, right? Yeah. Yeah. And it, like you can have a financial model and if it's super complex, if I'm in, like, I came from a banking world, I came from leverage finance, I worked with private equity, and then I went all the way down to like very early stage accelerators and I'm now kind of like bounced back up to somewhere around like the C to series B stage businesses. If I look at your model and it's extremely complex, I'm not gonna spend a whole lot of time looking at all the fancy stuff. I'm gonna go to the drivers of the business, right? Like what drives your revenue, what drives your cost? Mm -hmm. And I wanna understand the logic behind it. Like if you're telling me you're gonna grow at 25%, why? Like what is it exactly. about your business that's a theory of growth? Yeah. yeah. And I usually 
building that based off the fact that like, well, over these years, this is how we've grown. If you tell me this is how you've grown, I'm gonna ask you like, well, what brings you like revenue? Is it online advertising? Is it some, you know, is it some asset that you have like a mentor or someone on the team that is just like a rock star? Like I worked with uh, a woman at in survey, her name is Claire. She's amazing. She, she, she's just a boss. Like she, <laughs> she kills. Claire, Claire gets you numbers. Like, Straight up. So she was an amazing exactly. hire for, for exactly. Kenfield. Yeah. She's, it's, it's just overwhelming when you right. see how, like, when she's going up to, to hit, she's going to get you some great numbers. Right. She's grand, yeah, I mean, she managed, like, I think a billion dollars of revenue at Safari Club. So when you know that about, like, all right, we have this all-star player on our team, this person gets us great corporate contracts. Um, then you have this other part of the model where you're like, this is like self-sustaining, like if they're limping and pestle, what they've been promoting lately. Right. So you're like, I know how my business grows, Works. right? Yes. Like, then you can actually look at how do we, you know, make sure that we're supporting Claire because clearly she's the one that is really strong in giving us revenue. So you understand how your business works. The DNA you, of the business. Yeah. yeah. And that's what an investor wants to know. Right. They, they're coming to you and saying, you are an attractive investment. You look, you know, like, like you're a good business. You're making an impact on the ecosystem. You're solving a problem. Tell me how you're doing it. If you're like, we're just doing really well, like, <laughs> that that looks confusing. It's like, do you understand your, your business, business, right? Yes, yes. But if you're able to say, like, if you know, if Kenfield goes out and says, well. I have, you know, I've, I've been able to, it also shows the strength of a founder to be able to get a person like Claire to join well, your team. Because it's like, she's at Safaricom, she's doing very well for herself. Right. If she's joining here, she believes in the mission. And, and believes in you. And believes in you, right? right? So what that communicates to the investor is like, wow, you really got a great person on your team. I, I have confidence in your ability to get other people that are gonna also add the same type of value, right? right? right. So there's a human aspect to that of like how you're communicating it and then breaking it down to simple numbers like, well, these are the contracts she brings in. These are the people she's brought in our sales team. Look at our conversion funnel. This is like, you know, those are things that, you know, a lot of entrepreneurs don't know. And it's, 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 it's just like, it's hard to know these things if you don't have someone kind of walk you through it, right? right? right. Like I didn't, I didn't know this because I had. You were born. In, yeah, I wasn't born <laughs> with some like, you know, just immediate intelligence of like, well, when I look at a business, this is all I need to know. It's like someone taught me this. Right. Someone walked me through it, right. mentored me, and you know, grilled me, pushed me, you know, questioned me on what I thought, mm -hmm. and and when it's not there, it's it, it's blinding, yeah. right? When yeah. you see that, yeah, and that's exactly. Exactly what you said is what, why we have people like her on the team. Very early, we want to insert that discipline into the startups we work with, taking zero for granted. Mm -hmm. Become a boss of your business, right? So that when you go into a room with somebody, you are the one in control of the conversation. It doesn't matter who it is, you should know your business code. Yeah. And so we're inserting that from the beginning, and we provide that as part of our acceleration model, and, and, uh, and, and we're building that capacity through people like, like her. And, just having somebody like you in the ecosystem, I think, is a, is a game changer, right? Thank so, you know, you'll definitely be mentoring her, I can tell you that. <laughs> but I, I know you had a question about, like, uh, when, maybe you answered some of it, but go ahead. Uh, yeah, I wanted to, cause, to ask, because uh, these entrepreneurs starting a new business, maybe they'll start by using the savings that they had to, like, kickstart the, mm -hmm. the whole thing. But uh, at some point, they will need to raise money mm -hmm. to keep it going or to like help it grow mm -hmm. right so i was uh, just wondering at what point should they because not maybe not at the beginning 
that they should start looking for investors and, and venture capitalists. But at what point should an entrepreneur like look for an Outside investor? Yeah. yeah, and like do, should they vet them because there are some investors who are very impatient. Mm -hmm. They want to see what are you doing immediately. Like how they want to know how they can make their money back, mm -hmm. but it's not it's not realistic to like start asking for paybacks right yeah. at the beginning so should they let them or how do they because you're the one who is in need you know? yeah. yeah so how do they go? the power dynamic yeah. yeah so your second question is much easier to answer or it's more of a straightforward answer yes you should very very much bet them right yeah. um because uh, so the guy that built Basecamp was getting interviewed recently. He was like, there's so many businesses that get killed from venture money, right? right? It's because investors, like, you have to understand it's a different mindset, a different approach. So, I mean, you could even look at it as like, you know, when you were in middle school or in high school or something, who you became friends with was like, whatever, we play, you know, football together or we're in band together, whatever. It's not that serious. As you start to get older, you're like... Who am I spending my time with? Because this is like a relationship that I'm like investing in, right? right? Now imagine that if you were like sharing a business with this person, right? You'd probably vet them extremely close, right? Because they would have a lot of influence, not only on like just the easy stuff to point out of like money and stuff, but on your psychology. Like your, your psyche is going to get affected by if you have an investor that just isn't patient or isn't considerate. Because if you're working. And you're, I've never, I've never met an entrepreneur that I, I haven't met an entrepreneur yet. I'm not saying they don't exist, but I haven't met an entrepreneur yet that I was just like, wow, you're really lazy. Every entrepreneur I've met is like working really, really hard. Now, if you have an investor that's not right for you and they don't, they're kind of like popping in and out and they're like, hey, where's my return on my investment? Yes. Or like, you're not doing good enough. Or like, ah, you need to just like, they give you some simple, like generic solutions. That can just mess with your head, right? And you're 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 doing so much right now, and you feel like, oh my god, I'm running in like quicksand. That's why I would say that part is like extremely, extremely vet these people, right? Um, and be cautious not to raise money when your back's against the wall. That's easier said than done, right? Um, if you're a young entrepreneur, you don't know how to kind of like situate yourself properly, but. Whenever you're in a situation where you need money desperately, that's usually that's when bad. you make bad decisions, that's right? Because yeah. you're desperate, right? Yeah. So that's usually what leads you to make bad decisions. Hopefully you can be mindful and be like, all right, well, my emotions right now are running really high and I'm scared, I'm anxious, and I don't want this to fail. So if you can acknowledge your emotions and try to be like, all right, I can't make a good decision right now, so maybe I should just be still and try to like let my feelings kind of come down a little bit so I can make a thoughtful decision. If, if I may interject something, that's such a big, big point. And you know, in, our, in what we do, what we provide is we provide what I call the kind of like the air cover so that we can put entrepreneurs into this space where they can figure out those mechanics Right? Because when you're in your business, you're so emotional and irrational. Yeah. That's just a fact. Yeah. When you have somebody who's dispassionate and away from it, we, we as an as a enabling platform can really help you focus and hone in on what you need to focus on mechanically so the business can actually be coherent and make sense. Yeah. And that also, on top of that, we also provide this, this overlay of emotional support. It's so critical. People yeah. always underestimate that. And that's why we don't lead with we're an accelerator and we're going to give you capital mm -hmm. and let's see what happens. No, 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 no. It's about getting to a predictable theory of growth yeah. and the sequencing of that. Because once you get that, 
you're more stable, you can predict the future to some extent, right? Mm -hmm. And so we, we optimize for that because that brings that emotional stability yeah. at the end of the day. So I just want to kind of mention no, that. I, I think that's a great uh, point to kind of expand on. Um, to your first question, that, that is not, there's no general answer to that. So I can give you two examples that I've worked on. I worked with ALU to help them raise money. I worked with M-Survey to help them raise money. M-Survey from day one was providing a service of, you know, you know NPS, customer satisfaction, and they could charge for that immediately, right? Mm -hmm. Kenfield has a technical background. He, he built the, the mechanism, right? Him and Lewis, who's uh, also a local Kenyan person, but also spent a lot of time in Silicon Valley. Immediately from day one, they built something that they're like, okay, we can put our own money into this, get some grant funding, you know, to support entrepreneurs, and, but we can run, right? And then once we were like, oh, we have proof of concept, which people conflate with product market fit. They're very, very, very different things. <laughs> proof of concept means if I tell you I have a lawn mowing business and you're like, great, come mow my lawn, it's like I've proved that people want me to do this for you. It doesn't mean that I have product market fit. It doesn't mean that my business is growing so fast that my infrastructure is breaking because I can't satisfy demand. That's really what product market fit kind of gets around to. Mm -hmm. Now, AOU on the other hand, is an education company. So you need to build out pedagogy, you need content, you need learning experience design. It's like, how does someone from Nigeria engage with educational content? How does someone from Kenya do it? Like, you're thinking of like, well, these people come from a British colonial um, education background, but then what about people from Ethiopia? They don't have the same, It's a, they didn't grow up in the British mm -hmm. system, right? Mm -hmm you know, IB and A-levels and all, like, so you're like, I have so much groundwork that I need to do. It's so long before I can actually start charging for anything, right? So then you need to raise money pretty, pretty early. You need someone to back that idea very early because you're just, you're not gonna make money for a while, right? And whereas in survey is like, yeah, they're not gonna make great amounts of money for a while, but they can actually start charging pretty quickly once they have, this works. I can, you can send an SMS and then we can capture that experience and we can tell you what your customers think, right? Mm -hmm. So those are two very different businesses. One is an education platform, the other one is, is SaaS, right? You're, you're providing software as a service. Mm -hmm. um, you know, uh, I've worked with Africa's Talking and they, they have a similar experience where they can, they, they're providing a service, an API integration, they're Twilio for Africa pretty much. Mm -hmm. They can charge pretty early. Yeah, they need some money, but they didn't raise proper money till this past year, year right? right? Like Africa's talking raised a series A from IFC. They waited a longer time, whereas ALU raised money right out the gate. Now, let me ask you a question you know, on this particular ALU story, because we have a startup that's very similar to that. Mm -hmm. Elewa is doing yeah. essentially the same thing. Mm -hmm. um, so I guess the question I have for you is, what is it that convinced the investors to put money in ALU? And I'm trying to kind of measure this because it's very similar to how Elewa mm -hmm. went through the process. Mm -hmm. What convinced the investors that these guys are worth investing? Because at, the, at that point, there's no business. Yeah. Yeah, it's just the idea. It's the idea. It's the people, really. Yeah. Well, I mean, so Fred, Fred is you know one of the most respected people, I guess, on in education space and as well as on the continent. He built ALA. Um, he, you know, he had a 10-year run at ALA, which he's produced. I mean, they made a Netflix movie recently about the guy that harnessed the wind, right? Like, that's one of his ALA students. So he has a great success story. And ALA is what? Uh, African Leadership Academy. Okay. Okay. Um, okay. So that was a high school that focused on getting, like, you know, talented African students across the continent to come there, kind of incubate them, and then help them get to great careers, get to great universities. So he built his reputation that way. He also had a background in... Mackenzie, he went to Stanford. So he's not just like, oh, I have like this like Western like, you know, pedigree. 
I actually, he's lived all over the continent, he understands education, and he had that track record to of say- building a school. Of building a school. So when he said, I wanna build ALU, it was like, okay, I know this, he's a charming founder, so that means people like him, he can attract talent, right? You can, you're gonna be able to get the people that are gonna help you build this business, which is an important factor, right? He had a great vision for it. The market is huge and it's rife for it to be kind of disrupted because education has really been changed, really. Like, since it was, yeah, like, I mean, since, since ever. Like, yeah, I guess like, yeah, the way education has kind of been for the past hundred years, it hasn't really been that much innovation that's been around it, right? Even though the rest of the world has changed dramatically, we still kind of learn the same way. Um, so the opportunity was there. The founder was well positioned. Um, he had a good track record. Um, I think those combination of yeah. yeah, those ingredients, you know, made it seem like well, this is an extremely challenging and messy, messy problem that needs to be solved. And if there's anybody who's going to do, do it, it, it's you. And so to your point, yeah. I guess the answer is when do when do should startups raise money? Yeah. Right. When they can, I guess. What's the answer to that? Right. Because yeah. he he raised at the beginning. At the same time, some folks should only raise when they have actually got a, a theory of growth that's working. Yeah. When they've got at least traction approaching product market fit. Yeah. Right. So the answer yeah. is it depends. It depends. <laughs> yeah. It's not. A, that, that's why I, the the second question was much easier to answer yeah. than the first one. The first one was like it's almost nebulous in the sense of like yeah. how you approach it. Right. You're right. Like, well. There is no, I mean, you can even look at the difference in markets, right? Like if you're comparing like Silicon Valley, you could have just an idea and someone might literally like write you a huge check. Yeah, and in Silicon Valley, it's really about your pedigree along two dimensions. Yeah. Are you like the gentleman you're talking about from Nigeria? Do you come from a background where I can bet on yeah. your expertise, your performance in the past? Yeah. Or are you a third, second time entrepreneur yeah. who has posted success? Exactly. Background, I uh, think. So, Couple of last questions here. So, what drives you, Yeko? Yeah, I've, well, I kind of alluded to it when we first talked about it, right? Like, I, my grandfather had a very passionate approach to what he wanted to do in Eritrea, and unfortunately, you know, he passed away before I even got to meet him. But his legacy kind of really motivated me to come onto the continent. But I just really didn't know. I was like, well, I'm 25. I didn't grow up in Africa. Anywhere in Africa, I visited like my only my home country. How do I add value? And you know, uh, the guy I spoke to at the conference who was working in, in Ethiopia was just like, get skills. And I was like, okay, can these skills actually add value? Does anybody need these skills, right? So ALN, the accelerator, was a testing ground for it. And you know, going to ALU and going to M survey and having entrepreneurs reach out to me saying like, wow, man, like, thank you, because I didn't know a lot of what you're telling me. You know, those kind of like, things are saying, like, you, you helped me, right? You made a difference. I made a difference. Now, a very critical or like something that definitely on a more personal level motivates me is like we helped to do the Series A for ALU. We brought in, I think, you know, about 200 kids that came in all on scholarship for the first batch, right? So one of the kids, um, he grew up from a very, you know, unfortunate situation in Kenya. He, yeah, he, was a, he was an orphan here. And, you know, he got a free education and he ended up being an intern of mine in M-Survey, all based on the capital that we raised, right? Another one was from Nigeria. Um, and he's actually an intern at the startup that I'm building right now. And he's graduating in June. And he's getting a job. He already has a full-time job at Cellulon. So, like, what motivates me is that, like, when I was in banking, like, if your client is Levi's or if your client is, you know, General Motors, or I don't even know. That person does not know me. I don't really feel like I even have that much of an impact for them. Whereas if I'm sitting there and I'm like, wow, like I, got, I was, you know, I was lucky enough to work 
and help do this transaction and help build this growth engine for this company. And it led to this person's, you know, uh, an improvement in this person's, you know, trajectory, their their life, their like what they think is possible for them. And I actually have a relationship with this person right now. Right. Like so, so like, changing lives. Yeah, he's, he's a he's a mentee of mine, right? So I never looked at finance or analytics or numbers and stuff like that that it would ever give me that kind of reward. But it's it actually played itself out like that. And knowing that that's possible, like. I mean, one of the companies in our accelerator, it's called Gifted Mom, back when I was in Joburg, they literally provided pre and postnatal maternity healthcare, right? Like bringing down infant mortality ratio and helping them become sustainable meant that they could reach more people and they could add more value in people's lives, right? Yeah. So that, that is like extremely, extremely motivating for me because it's like I never envisioned that I would ever have an ability to impact someone that. That's awesome. And you know, just to wrap it up here, man, uh, so much, I guess, synergy between, you know, you and, 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 and me and, and what we're doing here and why we came back to the continent, right? Uh, what our, our, our mantra is changing the African narrative, building great African companies in an ecosystem of high performance, high integrity and high collaboration. That's something that's ingrained in my psyche. That's what I'm building Impact Africa Network for and around. That's the ethos. Um, and with that, I'll just kind of say, you have a few things to, to say, Pauline, to wrap it up here. Uh, just, uh, What's your first experience as a podcast interviewer? <laughs> uh, I had zero preparation, so it was like just going with the flow. So, right. But uh, yeah, uh, just subscribe. Do, you, do people subscribe? <laughs> <laughs> subscribe. Yeah, subscribe! And yeah, you can follow us on yeah, Impact Africa. IA Network tweets. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter. And we're all over the internet, LinkedIn, everywhere. And uh, yeah, thanks for listening. Thanks, guys. Until next time. Appreciate it. Cheers. Thanks,